Forests cover about 30% of the world's land area, but are disappearing quickly. In the last 25 years, an estimated 500,000 square miles have been taken, an area larger than South Africa, or about twice the size of Texas. Why is deforestation bad? More carbon dioxide in the air, leading to more climate change. Locally, communities suffer from soil erosion, fewer crops, and flooding. What can be done? Well, let's meet someone who is working on this. Pack your bags. Today, we are going to Vietnam. Namaste, and welcome to The Other VIP, where we talk to change leaders around the world who are engaging communities and empowering people to access meaningful opportunities and pathways out of poverty. We delve into the sustainable solutions, the VIP of ventures, innovations, and partnerships that are generating social, economic, and ecological gains for the most disadvantaged. I am your host, William Sparks, and I am talking to you from Bangkok, Thailand. So that's exactly where um, this whole process started, was trying to look at who would be the service users. So when we talk about forest service, who are the ones using that service or benefit from that, benefiting from that service who would be willing to pay into a fund? Today, we are talking with Brian Bean, the project director of a creative partnership in Vietnam. The project is funded by USAID, or the United States Agency for International Development. The majority of international aid given by the U.S. to other countries comes through USAID. USAID pays the bills, and this project is implemented by a U.S.-based NGO called Winrock International. Brian is going to talk to us about PFAS, an acronym that stands for Payment for Forest Environmental Services. My name is Brian Bean. I'm based in Hanoi, Vietnam, working on a USAID-funded program called the Vietnam Forests and Deltas Program. And this program's uh, quite unique in that it, it's been going on since 2012. We're about to enter our ninth year, which for a USAID project is quite a quite a long lifetime. And our project now is focused on one quite unique sustainable financing mechanism that Vietnam has developed to support forest protection in the country. All right. So before we get into the uh, solution that you're working on, set us up a little bit with the challenge. I mean, what's the problem and why is the U.S. government through USAID spending eight, nine years uh, addressing this challenge? So I think the the fundamental challenge that anyone has who's working in natural resource management is how to make the long-term management and in some cases protection of that resource uh, profitable, make it valuable. The reality is that almost all natural resources are worth more when they're extracted or exploited. So whether that's forests or fish or other types of wildlife or land, um, the value of protecting something tends to be less than when you use it for something. And that's most significant for 
um, rural communities, in the case of forestry, the communities that live in and around forest areas, oftentimes for them, the economic opportunity comes from either cutting down trees for the uh, timber and or to clear the land for some kind of agricultural or other type of production. And so how do you, as an um, advocate for protecting forests, how can you convince people that they, they not just should they do it, but it has some benefits for them other than just forests look nice or it helps us all feel better about the world to have forests standing. Um, and there's been a lot done over the years to try to engage communities in ways that give them economic benefits. So there's a lot of community-based natural resource management, which kind of morphed into ecotourism and helping uh, homes or families develop homestays and those types of things so that they'd have some economic benefits. But those tend to be relatively small scale and it's hard to scale up um, in a meaningful way outside of a one community. So the challenge that Vietnam kind of took was how can we develop a larger national program that will um, provide a sustainable revenue source to help pay for the protection of forests because the government alone doesn't have the budget to do that. Um, and, and what can um, uh, Vietnam do that would move forward in a very innovative way um, to protect forests. And so that's where about 12 years ago, actually Winrock working with USAID started looking at this idea of payment for forest environmental services. And the basic concept is, is that um, an entity, whether it's a company or an individual or anyone or anything that's benefiting from the forest, that's receiving some services from the forest, would be willing to pay into a fund and then that money could be distributed out to the forest owners, households, community groups, national parks, um, who then can use that revenue to uh, protect the forest. And that's taken off now. It's been 10 years since the um, system was put into place. And we've been helping both with uh, inception and drafting and then implementation piloting at small scale and 10 years later we're kind of now working at taking it to a new a new level so let me unpack that a little bit so forests uh, typically uh people it, they're protected through legislation but then people try to work around that and it's hard to fund the police to protect the forests or as you said that people will do small scale activities to try to generate income from the forest itself in a sustainable way but it doesn't quite generate enough revenue, certainly not as much as cutting down a tree. And so now you're saying that this uh, program, this fund that uh, you've set up uh, allows people who are benefiting from the forest to pay into the fund that the citizens living in or near the forest can extract from that fund. So have I summarized that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the basic principle. And I, I think I tried to summarize 10 years of a lot of different work in a minute or two. So there, <laughs> there's a lot of, of steps that have been taken. Um, but I think just, so, go ahead, sorry. So, so, so who's paying into this fund? I mean, who's benefiting and how are they benefiting from the forest? And how is, is their fee determined? Good question. So that's exactly where um, this whole process started was, trying to look at who would be the service users. So when we talk about forest service, who are the ones using that service or benefit from that, benefiting from that service who would be willing to pay into a fund? And in a place like Vietnam, there's a couple 
types of enterprises that came to the forefront quite obviously. And the first one was the hydropower sector. So Vietnam has a pretty um, um, active hydropower sector and, and has continued to expand that over the years. And the way that links to forests is if you picture yourself as a hydropower operator, you're working in a watershed, you construct a dam, um, and then the flows through that uh, facility are what generate the power. If that watershed has a nice forest that's healthy and protecting against uh, heavy rainfall and erosion and other types of sedimentation, you will have more consistent flows through your facility. So you'll have more regular operation and you'll have reduced maintenance costs. You won't have to dredge out behind the dam as much. You won't have to clean out. Things will just stay um, uh, cleaner and you have reduced costs. And so in the theory there, from a hydropower perspective, there's a cost savings that they would be willing to pass along to whoever would be protecting the forest. And so that was the first obvious uh, sector that would would make sense for PFAS. Since then, it's expanded. There's five different um, groups that are now included in this national policy. You have hydropower, hydropower industrial water use. So those would be companies like um, beverage companies, steel companies, any, any industry that is using water, extracting water that has a, um, a vested interest in having more regular uh, supply of quality water. Municipal water utilities or uh, clean water companies, ecotourism operators who work in and around forest areas and are, are interested in protecting the forest so they can have more customers come. Um, and then the last one is aquaculture. So whether that is uh, companies who are operating in forest areas and are using the water for um, the actual aquaculture, the, the fish production, but it also helps cover areas like mangroves on the coast where protecting mangroves, there's a lot of um, fishery spawning habitat that takes place in, uh, in and around mangroves that they have a benefit from the forest as well. To, to date, um, the vast majority of PFAS revenues, which now is up to 125 million US dollars per year, is coming from the hydropower sector. But those other four that I mentioned are gradually starting to expand um, and come up. That's big money, $125 million per year. That's right. Yeah, it, it is quite big. And, and that's, you know, the sort of when you look at a quick snapshot of, hey, is this working, this idea of PFES, that's always the first indicator that people get excited about. And I think that it's um, obviously a, uh, quite a bit of money that, that is coming through and going out to now it's about 500,000 households who are receiving payments in 44 provinces across the country. Um, the opportunities to expand are there as well because there's an additional uh, forest service, which is carbon sequestration and storage, um, where the national policy allows um, for companies that are emitting greenhouse gases to pay into the fund as well to help offset the carbon sequestration and storage services that forests provide of those carbon emissions. So it has a greenhouse gas um, climate change benefit, but those companies can also be um, a, a big contributor. And the back of the envelope calculations are that if and when carbon PFES comes online, and we've been doing a lot to try to help um, get approval of that 
through the prime minister's office here, that could even almost double the revenue. So you could go from $125 million a year to over 200 million US per year, which is you know uh, quite, quite a lot of money that can be provided to support these communities in and around forest areas. So I have a question on the household side. So you said 500,000 households are receiving payment. So they're getting the benefit and they have a responsibility of protecting that forest and to make sure that no one is, even with this payment, secretly going in and uh, converting trees into wood, for example. So how are households determining their responsibilities and how are they determined who gets paid? So the Vietnam has a system of what they call forest land allocation, um, where the forest land is all officially owned by the government, but it is allocated out to um, different types of forest owners. And those can be households, those can be villages or community groups, those can be groups of households, or those can be what they call organizations here, which can take different types of forms. It can be a national park or a protected area, can, can be that forest owner organization. There's also state forest companies that are um, involved in forest uh, production but still have responsibility for managing and protecting that forest. And so each province is fairly decentralized in terms of how they make decisions on allocating that forest land to these different types of, of uh, forest owners. In the case of households, um, forest owning households are given what they call a red book. So it's a, it's a red certificate that says this is how much forest area you have um, been allocated. You are now responsible for this much area in this place. And there's a little simple map that, that's drawn to show where the land is and how it connects with other parcels who have uh, that have been allocated to other households. And it, out, it outlines what their responsibilities are. And essentially it's um, protection of that forest, making sure that um, no one, including that household, is going in to cut any trees, and if there is anything um, observed, that they report that to the local forest protection department who can come and do further documentation. Um, the forest owners are allowed to um, extract if there's any kind of natural medicinal plants or other types of non-timber forest products that grow naturally in the forest. They're all, they are able to take those, but um, they're not allowed to hunt or cut any trees um, in those areas. Now, you called this uh, PFAS. Uh, that's an acronym, I'm presuming. It sure is, yeah. PFAS, so Payment for Forest Environmental Services. Okay. Uh, you guys can come up with a better acronym. Well, actually, you, you would get a kick out of the uh, Vietnamese acronym is uh, DVMTR. It's five, five letters, which you can't even pronounce. Um, but that is the, um, basically what happened is in the international kind of natural resource management space, there's a uh, popular topic called payment for environmental services or payment for ecosystem services. And Vietnam decided that they wanted to put a little spin on that and add an F to make sure that it was clear that this was related to forests. So this was a, uh, a government of Vietnam endorsed and um, kind of branded mechanism to put their own little spin on this uh, internationally recognized model of PES. Mm -hmm. So this is an innovation is this, this fund, which you said is uh, an international best practice adapted to Vietnam. But really what's unique here is this partnership that you've got this triangle, so to speak, you've got the government uh, facilitating the land and the policy 
You've got the private sector paying in and then the households protecting as well as receiving the economic benefit for that protection. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is that is precisely one of the things that makes it so unique. Um, having had a chance to work on some of these similar issues in other countries, um, Vietnam's a bit of a unique place in terms of being able to have some confidence that that triangle will support itself and stay strong. In some countries, the government's very strong, but there's not much of a connection to the to the private sector. In other countries, the communities are actually quite vocal and do not have a much of a positive relationship or engagement with the government. So that level of trust isn't there. So Vietnam's a special place that um, can move as quickly as this, this country did. The pilots that first started um, in around 2008 or 2009 were only on the scale of about 200 households in one province and were getting payments, total payments of you know thousands of dollars from one or two uh, hydropower companies. That moved quite quickly over the course of a year or two to a national policy that would be eligible to be implemented in, in more than 40 provinces and grew quite quickly from that first thousands of dollars to $4 million, I think, in the first two or three years. Um, and then, like I said, has expanded $25 million. And so that triangle that you mentioned is, is you know, fairly strong and stable here in Vietnam and is, is a big part of why it's been so successful. And what do you think was a key ingredient to reach that sort of scale? Because that's the holy grail of many development projects is how do we scale it up? And what, what did you see as a, a secret ingredient or a key step that helped? Well, the, the key ingredient was that we were able to work within a system here in Vietnam that was quite comfortable with the process of piloting and experimenting and having a mechanism in place to move quickly from a, a test or a pilot to something endorsed at the, the highest levels of government. So in, in this situation, I think the innovation that we talked about a little bit earlier of taking some internationally recognized concept or model of payment for environmental services, but having putting that little twist or unique brand of, of Vietnam and having it be focused on forestry um, was a way to get the commitment from the government here who saw it as their own. It wasn't just this kind of international concept, but it was something they were able to really define as their own. Um, and then Vietnam, one of the things that we're fortunate in here is there is this history of if a activity is piloted in one province, or in this case, there were a couple provinces that were officially part of the early pilot stage. If it's seen as successful and identified by, by those provinces as something that's brought them some significant benefits, um, the government here is, is relatively quickly able to establish a national decree or a national policy. And once that happens, um, it creates the, the guidelines and framework for the payment rate, who can pay, um, how does that money get managed by each province and how does it get distributed? And then that goes out as, as national um, policy and is, is implemented quite quickly by all the provinces who are eligible. And, and in this case, it's 44 provinces now who are implementing it. So it is something that, um, like I said earlier, is not necessarily with the snap of your fingers would work in every country around the world. 
Um, but it's certainly been a fantastic model for how to create that sustainable financing mechanism um, that, that brings a lot of benefits to, to Vietnam. Yeah, I was talking with a group last week and, you know, in one sense, people roll their eyes sometimes when you say you need to work with any government because it can be long and bureaucratic. But at the same time, a best practice is to make sure your development initiative is aligned with a government priority. And even though this is U.S. government funded, it sounds as though you made sure that this was lined up very clearly with the government priority. And once that pilot was proved, it was very easy or easier to step on the accelerator. And yeah, and that's certainly up. one thing that USAID is quite thrilled about here. I mean, there's from the from the USAID, U.S. government perspective now, there's this real interest on journey to self-reliance and domestic resource mobilization so that USAID is not necessarily feeling like they're the ones pushing or driving uh, any agenda that may not stick. It's it's really about what are the country's priorities and how can USAID add value rather than funding the entire thing, for example. Um, you know, old efforts of uh, natural resource management or forestry protection were either establish a park and then you set up the park and uh, the donor has to keep paying for the guards and paying for the infrastructure because the government um, doesn't have the budget to support that, or that was just one example. But you, you know, you can imagine we've all seen many of those in, in the development world over the years. But this one here is figure out exactly how does this sync up with what the government's trying to do, um, make sure they have a strong commitment, and then link it up with that triangle of communities, uh, enterprise. Um, and government, and make sure to try to do your best to demonstrate how it's a win-win-win for each of those groups, um, and then that's that's how it can start to really get momentum. And that's your key to sustaining. You not only you got all three main parties in, that's meeting all of their individual needs, and that's the key. As you just said, not relying on the donor to keep funding this year after year but tapping into the uh, commercial interests as well as aligning with the government. Yeah, exactly. Priorities. And I mean, I think for, for our role here now is much less about, you know, here's how this should be done. And it's much more about kind of facilitation, sharing, here's some ideas for improvement. What, what do you guys see? And, and that you guys is, again, all of these different groups. So one of the things we try to do through our program is we've facilitated a, a community of practice and a series of events related to bringing together each of those different different groups of our pyramid to have these kinds of open conversations. And so what you hear is companies, hydropower companies, just as one example, saying, okay, well, look, we're happy to pay. We get that we're getting some benefit, but we really need to see some increased availability of data outside of our own data. They know how much power they're generating. They know how much water is going through, but they want to see they're paying X, each company's paying X amount of dollars per year. And they want to see what are the, the real results of PFAS so that they feel comfortable paying. And the households are saying, hey, we're getting payments, but I hear that the community over the mountainside on the other watershed is getting a little bit more money than we are. What's up with that? Can we, how can we benefit as much as they are? And the government's saying, hey, we're trying to keep everybody happy. How do we balance this out? And so having those dialogues between these different stakeholders is quite, quite unique and has raised a lot of what we're working on now in the project. 
um, has come out of those discussions. How can we make payment more transparent? How can we identify improved monitoring and evaluation methods? All of those things that we're really trying to help support came out of those discussions that were led by the, the local stakeholders and not something that we just came up with an idea by ourselves and said, here's a little bit of money to do it, but we're really trying to help support what is the local demand and interest in improving this system. We tossed around a couple of numbers here, but when you sit back as the project director of this initiative, how do you measure success? What do you look at and say, this is what makes me feel good when I go to sleep? Um, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think there, there's numbers and then there's just kind of the, the momentum that you see that's a little bit harder to, to quantify. And I think, you know, one of the big things that we take a lot of pride in because Winrock was around for the very beginning of the design of this whole system, helping to, to establish the first pilots, um, helping to draft the decree. Um, I, I don't see myself at all as a director of this system. I don't see myself at all as, you know, this is sort of my responsibility or my task. This is very much something that is administered, managed, run by the government of Vietnam and our partners here who are working in the forest management communities. Um, and so that for me personally is gives a tremendous amount of um, kind of gratitude and also satisfaction with seeing that this isn't something where I have to come in every day and bang my head against the wall trying to convince a local partner that, hey, this is something you guys really should do. It, it's something that they've taken um, real ownership of and, and run with. So that's, I think that's one really basic thing that, that makes me feel personally satisfied. Um, the, the, the numbers that I mentioned are, are very real and I think also are another point of um, you know, something that our team feels quite uh, happy about and, and feels proud to have been a part of helping to support. So as you said, 125 million US dollars per year in almost any country, uh, including the US, would be a big deal. Um, and so our team feels quite um, quite happy with how we've been able to help facilitate that growth. And the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Development, so that's, that's the, industry, uh, the ministry that all of this falls under. Last year, they did a big review and sort of said, what are the 10 great successes of the ministry over the last 10 years and one of them so this covers all agriculture fisheries forestry everything one of those big successes was was pfas and uh, something that they've identified as well we would love to be able to expand how the fund managers are able to really measure the success in a meaningful way in terms of what is the impact of this PFAS mechanism on the forests and the communities of Vietnam. So it's very easy to get quick reports on how much money is being paid, how many households are receiving payment, how much area of forest is being protected. And those are all very important types of uh, output indicators that we, we can get information on very quickly. But st uh, still, it's a bit difficult to get a very clear picture of what is the impact of this in terms of is the quality of the forest where PFAS is in place actually really improving? Some places have relatively what they call degraded forest, either it's, you know, have had some trees, scattered trees here and there cleared over the years, or there's been some small forest fire. 
it still counts as forest, but is PFAS really helping that forest area improve? And then the other area is there are poverty alleviation goals associated with, with this PFAS policy in Vietnam. And there's limited information um, to be able to make any real strong conclusions. Is PFAS having a really significant impact on uh, poverty levels and on uh, local livelihoods. There's a lot of anecdotal studies that have been quite positive, but trying to do something at a much larger um, comprehensive scale hasn't quite been done yet. So that's the stuff. While we feel satisfied and happy with how PFAS has progressed over, uh, has, has grown over 10 years, that's where we see kind of the next phase coming in of, of what kind of support we and others can be providing. Certainly, you as an implementer are responsible for the outputs, and you've shown some impressive outputs here. Do you know if you, in the future, do you see your project taking on to measure those outcomes of forest health and poverty alleviation, or do you see that coming in elsewhere? Either by so it's the certainly part of our current work, um, and the and the two big, well, the three big areas that we're working on right now that are kind of again adding value to an existing pretty powerful financing mechanism is the first we're working on electronic payment. So if you picture um, these millions of US dollars in, in local currency, of course, being paid out um, up until the last year or two, almost all of those payments were made in cash. And so you can picture people literally on the back of motorbikes with big bags of cash driving into the middle of nowhere to make these payments. And there's a lot of risks and challenges associated with that. So we've been working with one of the uh, the largest mobile phone operators here in Vietnam to help establish and test a uh, electronic payment mechanism. And so that's something we've spent a lot of time on. The second area is just this monitoring and evaluation. How can we establish um, metrics and the systems for each province to be able to do their own monitoring and evaluation based on their own interests and needs, but also be able to roll that up into a national uh, database, if you will, of the national management authority of this, this mechanism to be able to make some of these bigger conclusions. And that's been a big um, change in mindset because here monitoring is um, almost exclusively thought of as an audit function. So um, in the past, monitoring has been, did the payment get made? Yes, check, then our monitoring is done. And so looking at some of these more significant outcome type considerations is very new. And there's a number of um, very, very um, kind of progressive thinking managers who that we work with who are trying to push that um, thought process forward. But it's a big change in how um, these fund managers approach monitoring. And then the third area I mentioned earlier is this carbon PFAS. And that's that's an area we're really trying to help develop both the scientific, but also kind of the political foundation that can be used to get that approved. Our project only goes for another uh, eight months. And so the, um, we'll see how far we're able to get. There's some other programs that are starting up. But I think, again, coming back to this idea of journey to self-reliance, all of these are concepts that have been really promoted and identified by our government of Vietnam and local forest management um, counterparts. They have that initiative and desire to continue to working, work in these areas, but they're looking for a lot of technical support and guidance. So whether that comes from our project or new projects that would be starting, I think that need will, will continue to be there for the foreseeable future. 
So myself personally, I've been, uh, it's coming up on five years that I'll be um, working directly on this project. This is the um, third or fourth project that Winrock has had that has touched down in Vietnam working to support PFAS. So it's been a, a multi-year long-term uh, collaboration and we've had support from USAID, we've had support from the MacArthur Foundation um, and a couple other um, types of projects and, and funding sources that have helped us be a part of this this process. But I think it's um, hopefully one that we'll continue to stay engaged with over the years. And so nothing goes according to plan and, and we learn as we grow. If you could go back five years to your Brian from five years ago and give him one piece of advice about doing this uh, sort of initiative or project? It's a, it's a good you question. I, you know, I think the, the thing that I sometimes lose sight of is um, the day-to-day -day work. Sometimes you feel like you're not quite making the progress you're looking for. And you go through a series of, just to give an example, you know, go, go through a series of kind of training, awareness raising type events related to the importance of monitoring and evaluation. And you think you're making um, some impact and, and people are starting to get excited about it. And then suddenly one day you're, you feel like you're back to square one and you're still talking about, no, this isn't audit. This is much more, you know, comprehensive approach than that. So you, the day-to-day -day stuff, sometimes you, um, you don't see the progress that you'd like, but especially again, in a place like Vietnam, when you look year to year or over five years and you realize that a year or two ago, uh, almost no uh, payments were being made electronically. And now there's at least 13 provinces that are using this uh, Viettel, this, this mobile phone-based e-payment, electronic payment mechanism. You realize actually things are taking these huge, huge jumps. So I think the advice to myself from five years ago was just kind of to, to be patient and don't lose sight of the, the big picture and the progress that you're making over time. Um, it's not always apparent when you wake up in the morning and you think about how yesterday went and how you're looking about what's going to have to happen today, but but you're actually able to make some pretty significant um, strides in advancing some of these these uh, new initiatives. Absolutely, and tell us uh, one great thing you love about. It's hard to think of just one thing. It, it's been a great place, both personally and professionally. Uh, it's a pretty incredible. Um, country, especially given the history, especially given the history between the United States and Vietnam and to have been here, um, it's become kind of a, a center of attention. Obviously, we've had Obama was here for a number of visits. Uh, Trump has been here a couple times. Um, there, it's, it's a kind of a center of activity and interest um, between the United States um, and Vietnam. So it's been quite fascinating to see how that relationship has evolved, as well as being a place where tremendous um, landscapes, um, being able to explore the country. And then the food, of course, uh, is fantastic. And my family's really loved it here as well. G great place to uh, meet people. People are very friendly and open and you find yourself invited into strangers' homes for a cup of tea or a cup of beer. And uh, it's a place you can feel quite, quite welcome. 
And if people wanted more information on this, I think the, the project, easiest place uh, is there's a there's a pretty them? pretty good little micro website on um, Winrock's webpage. So if you go to winrock.org/project/vfd, um, there's uh, some basic fact sheets, but then there's a couple of nice little videos and and publications that share some more information about the project um, and what we've what we've been able to accomplish so far. And thank you, listeners, for listening to The Other VIP, where we look at the sustainable solutions, the VIP of ventures, innovations, and partnerships that are generating social, economic, and ecological gains for the most disadvantaged. Thank you so much, and have a great day.